Hi guys, welcome to yet another episode of Business and Answer podcast. Today we are in conversation with Claire. So Claire, um, thanks for joining us today. Uh, to start with, just share a bit about your role as a director of education. I'm the director of education at the Institute of Analytics, and we are a membership body for the data analytics profession. So we support our members uh, in staying up to date with the skills in a very rapidly changing environment. We support them staying up to date with best practice and regulations. Also very fast changing and many people need to learn how to do data analytics. It's a skill that everybody is gonna have to embrace um, whether they're a junior member or a CEO, they're going to have to learn how to work better with data in the future. And so we are there to support them in that journey if they want to do the analytics or if you know they just want to understand the analytics. So, you know, the business world is con- constantly evolving. So how do you help CEOs stay updated on emerging trends and, you know, adapt to changes in their industries? I think there are two kinds of businesses out there. There are some that are data native that have been born since the early 2000s. And those companies know how to work with data and use it to their advantage. And they do. There are a lot of legacy companies out there who have business models that predate the data age. And I think they are the ones that are struggling to keep up to date and to stay up to date. The reality is whatever has got them to this point in time successfully will not necessarily get them through the next 20 years and so a large part of our role is just trying to explain the scale and the magnitude of the changes that are coming um i you know i remember in the 1990s when we all had to become digitally literate because communication went digital and obviously communication is so fundamental none of us could opt out of it even if we were uncomfortable and unhappy Uh, Today, it's decision-making, equally fundamental. Opting out just is not an option. It's not a choice. And I think that's the conversation that is difficult to have. You know, uh, leadership styles always vary among, uh, you know, CEOs. So what are some common leadership challenges you face while you're working with CEOs? And how do you effectively uh, address those? Charisma is actually a problem (laughs) because charisma has been incredibly important to get people promoted to this point. Being good at working with other people, being good at working in teams and in groups and engaging others has been terrifically important and valuable. Um, But again, you know, we're moving to another world where it's about working with machines and machine insights and data. And charisma doesn't count for much in that world. And so we have to equip them with new skills to be able to step back a little and be able to understand when all their wealth of experience is helping them and supporting them and getting them to a better place. But also when actually perhaps it's time to accept that machines can see changes coming faster than humans can, can see patterns at a scale that humans can't that there is this um, scalability, superhuman power sometimes behind machines that we have to start engaging with and celebrating as well. Speaking of machines and humans, you know, AI has, you know, become the buzzword of today's times. Um, Is there a specific um, uh, 
you know, is there a specific uh, moment where AI helped you uh, with regards to your uh, to your position? Um, absolutely. So yes, of course, I have trained in artificial intelligence and in machine learning. And I think it does an awful lot to help you see patterns where you don't necessarily see them, um, where I've applied data, even something quite simple like a clustering algorithm. A clustering algorithm will just look through your data set and see, is there a pattern you haven't noticed that seems to be there? Um, I think, you know, that's often very, very insightful. Um, we were able to identify associations and similarities between um, our members that perhaps we would never have put together without those data insights. You know, AI, um, you know, speaking about AI, uh, people like CEOs, employees, you know, we've, and, and even as, you know, normal human beings, we've become insanely addicted and dependent on AI. <laughs> I, because it just makes the job easier. So what, what do you think about this dependency? Do you think it's good, it's healthy? Or maybe we should like, in, in my opinion, uh, relying on AI is good, but you know, what if it gets banned? I know that that's not a you know possibility, of course, but what if things go south? So what, what what's your opinion on this? Um, I, I think there are real um, and present risks. I'm constantly being asked, is AI going to kill us all? Is it going to take all our jobs? Um, and the answer to that is, of course, no. Those are very distant, imagined threats. But there are incredibly real dangers in AI right now, um, that it is biased. And it's terrifically difficult to get the bias out of these machines. It's just in the nature of the way some of these very sophisticated models like large language models, which are the ones behind things like ChatGPT, uh, it's very, very difficult to get complete control over the bias. And, and we're gonna start seeing, for example, um, a, a study recently suggested that there is political bias already creeping into these models. That's the thing, that's a very real danger that I think we should be thinking about. Um, you know, in terms of who's right, it's really hard to tell. We are. Um, working at the moment with human resource managers to help them to be um, arbiters, you know, to, to negotiate when the machines and the humans disagree. Honestly, it's kind of hard to say who is right and who is wrong at the moment. Um, and so we need to develop these skills to be able to arbitrate disagreements between the two and, and make the best decisions using all the knowledge and insight and intelligence available to us. That makes absolute sense. So, um, you know, the, the role of a CEO is often very demanding, right? Uh, so what are some of the key skills and qualities that you believe are essential for a CEO's success? Right now, given my focus <laughs> and my, my passion for data, um, it has to be taking a strong governance and leadership role over their data processes. So right now we are creating responsible AI and responsible data documentation, and it places the CEO at the heart of driving things like stakeholder engagement, making sure that they are uh, engaging employees internally, externally, um, customers or consumers who'll be impacted, um, making sure that they have required technical processes to be described in plain language if that's what's needed 
that we're not just going to trust technicians to carry out processes using terminology that quite honestly could be made up you know that nobody has that understanding um and so i think what we would love to see more and more is ceos really stepping into this role of driving data driven companies forward in the future and understanding what that role looks like and um and and what their how they need to create statements of principles and good practice and and drive it through the organization you know uh, speaking about leadership succession planning is yet another crucial aspect of ceo leadership so how can ceos really prepare their organizations for smooth transitions uh, in case if things ever go south you know most people start panicking most ceos start panicking so how, how do you like how do you avoid that and how do you actually smoothly very you know swiftly transition into the next phase when the time comes so the solution is not to create an ai to reproduce you um, <laughs> that's somewhere way in the future um you know for me it's all about documentation um that if as long as the processes that have led to this point have been clearly documented then we have um, we have this, we can take a third party view and we can look back on that written documentation. Um, we can see if there were mistakes made, where they were made, we can plan forwards or where things were incredibly well managed. We can replicate and reproduce those processes ongoing in the, in the um, application originally intended, but also perhaps we can translate it to future applications and we can make improvements there. So it's got to be about really good documentation. And this is where actually AI can help because um, this is one of the great things about ChatGPT. Don't put your company um, plans and call confidential information into it, but you, you can get it to produce that documentation for you from bullet points, from notes, from oral recording. You know, it's, it can greatly speed up that process of documenting. Um, so, you know, Speaking of AI and the data and analytics industry, I believe everything has kind of evolved. It has changed uh, since pandemic. Um, so post-COVID, what do you think um, has happened to the data industry? What about significant disruptions? And how has and you know how have you adopted to it? And how have the CEOs adopted to it? You know, in a like, how have we smoothly sailed through these trans, uh, these challenging times? Some people have smoothly sailed, and of course, many have not. Um, and it's been a great reckoning over the last couple of years. One of the big impacts on my field is that suddenly the volume of data available to feed into these machines grew exponentially. And that is why... Here we are a couple of years later, seeing applications of artificial intelligence coming thick and fast. They come literally daily. And we talk about large language models, but for a machine, everything is language. So it's, you know, language is language, but so are numbers, brain waves, genetic information. All of this is for the machine language. And so we're seeing phenomenal pace of development just because so much more that we're doing is online and it's captured online 
and we can feed data into these hungry data models that perhaps we never would have had before. And in particular, because people are working from home more, we've got the data trails of what they're doing captured. And that is allowing many companies to get more insights into what's going on in their organization on a day-to-day -day basis, how roles are experienced and lived every day. And I think that is helping to support them to make better choices, in some cases to automate some processes where the decisions are terrifically repetitive. Quite honestly, we might as well get a machine to do it and free up the humans for all those dream projects that have been put on hold for a long time. Speaking of work from home, I, I believe, you know, people, employees have started, it, it is a blessing in disguise, obviously, but you know, employees have started feeling very excluded from the companies because we're always in front of our laptop screens, we're at our, we're at our homes, so we tend to spend more time with our family, but um, as far as the work is concerned, we kind of, you know, there, there's a, I wouldn't say it's safe, but there, there, there comes a distance uh, from the company, uh, you know, to not go in there every day and to just, you know, sit at home and work. So, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, these have become really prominent topics in today's times and today's business world. What advice do you have for CEOs looking to promote all of these things in your experience? Um, how has, uh, you know, the work from home settings changed uh, the entire uh, business scenario? How, how, what do you think about it? I think to successfully navigate the work from home um, paradigm, you need to drill down to a more personal level because what suits one person they may love the fact that they're at the home that it fits in with their family life that they have a busy home and community environment um, and and it works completely for them and it supports them and it makes them actually a better worker because they're not commuting two hours a day and you can employ the best staff around the world not the person who lives down the street um, at the same time, you know, I think there are lots of people who, for whom working from home is not suitable. They benefit from that interaction. Maybe they live on their own and it's a terrifically lonely existence. Um, you know, I had one colleague who became very self-conscious of, um, of, of, of viewing herself on the camera constantly when she was in meetings. And she said that she never thought about it when she was in a business meeting face to face. But when she had to look at herself all the time, um, she felt very self-conscious and it was having that was having a negative impact on her. So I think which is right, who knows? I think it's a very personal thing. And, and I think again, this is where data comes into it. Data allows a little bit more personal personalization of the relationship between employer and employee. We can scan these vast data sets and gain some insights and, and perhaps pick up on markers of people who are disengaging, unhappy, um, and, and, and take action that way. Uh, since we're on the topic of data, you know, and, you know, speaking of data, how do you uh, advise business leaders or CEOs or anybody around you to make better decisions with data? So, when we talk about data, 
firstly, we're not talking about Excel files. <laughs> and I think that's really <laughs> important because anybody who is CEO is about my age. And, you know, we've grown up with Excel. It's nothing new. Um, and it's deeply embedded, this idea, not of Excel, but just generally a data table being what data is. And there are so many other formats of data, possibilities of data, opportunities with data. And I think it's expanding your understanding of what data means, what you can do with it, um, it, it has got to be the place to start. Historically, since the 1990s, we've been producing visualizations to report on how a company performed in the past. And that's very embedded in corporate culture. What we're looking at now is forget all that. Let's focus on the future. Let's collect all the data today so that we can make the best choices and predict what's going to happen in the future and mitigate risks and really use that data to focus on where we're going, not how well we've performed in the past. And I think that is the biggest transition in thinking that leaders can make at the moment. And then after that, it's just looking at the many, many, many possibilities and what the budget and skills allow you to do within all the options that are available to you. You seem very passionate while talking about data. <laughs> so tell me something, how, how did you know that, you know, I wanted to, uh, I want to go forward in this field. I wanted to choose data. How How did you know that? It took me a while and I think it takes a lot of people a while, you know, um, unless you happen to be in a computer science department when you're 18 years old, you're gonna take a roundabout route to get into this field. I um, actually, um, I wrote books. I was an author and I wrote school leaving exams and school leaving exams are highly analytical. I wanted to learn more. And I was very, very fortunate that I was taken on by the University of Southampton's Web Science Institute, which is very forward thinking. It's led by the people who created the modern world, Professor Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web is, you know, he's the top guy there. These are, the, and all of them um, are, are world leaders in the field. And they realized that actually what the field needs is not more computer scientists. It needs people with a much broader understanding of the context of data because it's the context of data that gives it meaning. Yeah. We can do all the analytics, but the context is where the meaning comes from. And so they retrained me and that's how I got into it. I, I, I started and I never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me some examples, some inspiring stories um, where you help CEOs and uh, they benefited from the educational resources and the support that were provided by you. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to use an unusual example. Um, when we first start to explain machine learning algorithms, <laughs> There's, the usual reaction is excitement. Um, oh, you know, we could do this, we could do that. And sometimes it's a case of pulling back and saying, hang on a minute. So for example, when I was working with a CEO of an insurance advi uh, um, advisory body, and I explained what computer vision was, that you could train a machine to look at a picture and understand what it was looking at. 
the immediate reaction was, oh, we could use this when somebody has a car accident and um, they can take a photograph of the damage and then we can send that photograph to the garage and we can get a better estimate on how long it's going to take to repair the car and we can get better estimates on the cost and all these positive things that would give insight. Sometimes you have to say, hang on a minute. <laughs> what if it's dark? What if it's raining? That image is not going to be very good. What about your customer who's just had an awful accident? Do you really want to give them an extra role of photographing <laughs> the damage? You know, have you spoken to garage repair workers? Um, do can they actually see externally the extent of damage or do they have to get inside the car and look at the engine and then they can determine the extent of damage? And when you start asking these questions, sometimes they start pulling back and saying, you know, OK, maybe that's an extremely expensive model <laughs> to train and it's a very risky model. You know, let's just do something much easier, like let's look at our customer data. Yeah. And let's do something simple that will get a return in a couple of months. Um, so, so sometimes it's about steering them away from the shiny new stuff and just going for the quick and easy wins. So, you know, looking to the future, what do you see as the key trends and challenges in data? And uh, how do you think the CEOs will face it and embrace it and how, how they can prepare for that? I always hate future predictions because it's so hard. You never know what's coming around the corner. Um, I, I think, um, so just this week, we got a little teaser of um, the 10-year update for a very influential study that was published by the Oxford Internet Institute in 2013, where they predicted that 47% of roles would be performed by machines, uh, you know, and the humans would go on to do other things. And here we are 10 years later, and quite honestly, that's not happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that acceptance is going to always hit some hurdles, hit some bottlenecks, and it's always going to be a little bit slower to come than we imagine it might. Having said that, um, you know, obviously, we're all very excited about generative AI at the moment. Or oh, this year, people have been very excited about it. Many people have been worried about it. And so we've got a lot of international consensus that we need stronger regulation over in the states i think independent states are starting to implement um, laws connecticut i think has gone first with their regulation of um, ai practices and we're going to see a lot more regulation in our field coming in the future um and then long term you know we've got some big technologies coming on the horizon and i think it is time to start thinking about them we've got interactive ai AI that talks to other talks to each other. Um, they talk among themselves and will push instructions to another machine or to another piece of software. Um, we have processing power on a scale we've never seen before, um, and we don't really know what that's going to mean. So, um, you know, it, it, in terms of when it's coming, I don't know, but I do know that change will come probably within our working lifetimes, and it's good to start thinking now. That that makes absolute sense. I am not a future predictor myself and I always steer away. I'm like, no, no, no. Even if yeah. you don't know something, I'm like, okay, maybe not, let's not jinx it yet. Uh, let, let it come and then we'll see for ourselves. So this has been great, Claire. Great talking to you.
I'm done with all my questions. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners? Thank you very much for listening. If you um, have concerns or fears around AI, if I've made you feel that you're falling behind, I'm very, very sorry. Um, you know, do come and visit us at the Institute of Analytics. We have lots of support available. <laughs> so thanks, Claire. Thanks for joining us today. This has been great.